All right, so we, uh, as you've already heard a few times, we're starting our Advent series. So what is Advent? Like if you're like me, you hear the word Advent, and I didn't grow up to churches or in churches that use this word Advent all the time. And so I said, what, advent, adventure? Like what, finish the sentence or finish the word. And so Advent, though, it comes from this Latin word that means coming. Okay, and so it's this idea that, that Jesus, God, came to earth, that God arrived here on earth. And in church tradition, they began to celebrate every year this Advent season where they celebrated the coming of Christ. Okay, and so some people think that Jesus was born on December 25th. That's just not true, okay? And even most scholars, most theologians, no one thinks that. Now, he could have, but most people think it was September, October, sometime in there. But every year around December, for uh, hundreds of years now, it's been church tradition to celebrate this Advent, this coming of Christ, this arrival of God in the universe. And so why do we do this? Why do we take time to look at it? And I think it's because of this. It's because... Often we forget that the Bible is one story, okay? We forget that the Bible is one story. We, we forget that so often. We think it's just a bunch of fables or stories or lessons, but really what we believe is the Bible is one story. And we say the story starts over here in creation where God creates earth and it's good and he creates humankind and they're good. That's the first part of the story, and God has a relationship with us. Everything is good. Everything is as it should be. And then over here... Humankind comes, Adam and Eve bring sin into the world. They sin, the fall happens. So we have the creation, then we have the fall. And then the rest of the story is this idea of people living under the promises of God, redemption, and then restoration. And so pe people began to live in Israel, the people of God, were these people of the promise. God gave the people of Israel the promise that one day he would come and he would fix the fall. He would fix this brokenness that Adam and Eve spread to all of humanity and you and I spread daily. And so we get to this peace, redemption. And this is the climax of the story. This is when Simba defeats Scar. Actually, it's when Simba shows up to Pride Rock and says, Scar, what's going on, boy? Right? This is what's happening. In the, and so that's why every Advent season, we're celebrating this beginning to the climax of this story of redemption. Because we have a God who wants to come and save us. Okay, we have a God who wants to come and redeem us. And so we think it's important to celebrate every Christmas season spending some time in this story. And like I said in my prayers, I think we can look at many stories in the Bible and miss the depths that are in them. We can just totally miss the depths in these stories. And so as we look at the Christmas story every year, I think there's things we can find from the events surrounding Jesus' birth and find Jesus in them and find who God is in them. And this year, as we were looking at it, we realized that not only do the events show who Jesus is, not only do uh, what happens around Jesus' birth show who God is, but we found that even who Jesus shows himself to first, the people that see him first in that uh, birth story show God's value, show Jesus' heart for the world. And so we're going to spend this time in this series called The Justice of Christmas. And the idea of the justice of Christmas is that Jesus comes to these different sectors of our world and he comes to make things right. 
right? Like we said, it's the beginning of this climax story in the Bible. And Jesus, even the people he reveals himself to in the beginning, shows different sectors of our world that he wants to bring justice to, different sectors that he wants to make right again, okay? And so we're going to look at the social sector, just the social world, and see how Jesus wants to bring justice there. We're going to see how Jesus brings justice to the economic sector, the racial sector, and finally, the spiritual sector. And we're going to look at each one of those sectors over the next four weeks, and we're going to see how Jesus brings the justice of Christmas. Jesus makes all things right with his very life, okay? And so why do we think this is important? Well, one thing we say here is that all of life is all for Jesus. We say that a lot. And I think sometimes people miss what we mean there. There's this theologian named Abraham Kuyper, and I'm paraphrasing what he says, but he says, there's not an inch of this planet that is not God's, that God does not look at and say, that is mine. And so God looks at the social sector of our world, and he says, that's mine. He looks at the economic sectors of our world, and he says, that's mine. He looks at all the different races of the world, and he says, they are my people. And he looks at the spiritual realms of this world and says, that's mine too. And so we can get a great glimpse into who God is, his values, if we take time to look at each of these sectors. Now, uh, today we're going to spend time completely in this social sector, this place where we see social injustice in our world. Now, social justice is a, is a popular term, but I think it's as simple as this. I think we've all... Most of us have experienced social injustice at one time or another. I did when I was in sixth grade. And there was this girl, I won't say her name, but I want to, um, who used to make fun of me. And she would get people to not be friends with me because of one thing, my chicken legs. All right? I, had skinny, I still have skinny legs. I still have chicken legs. And so she would go around our classroom in sixth grade and just be like, don't hang out with Anthony. He has chicken legs. Like as if it's like contagious or something like that. I don't know. And so, and she, and she would get people, I'm, honestly, I almost got in a fight one time um, with somebody because of my chicken legs. And so we experienced these social injustices, or maybe you were the kid like me who was, because he was a bit nerdier and not the best athlete, picked last in every sport, right? That happened to me sometimes. And, and there are these social injustices that happen in our world that are far worse than that. And today in our story, we're going to see this, this woman named Mary. You might know her as the Virgin Mary. We're going to see this woman Mary, we're going to see how she has faced far more social injustice than me and my chicken legs, right? We're going to see that she has faced, she is put in a socially bad situation than us. And then we're going to see what does that mean for Jesus? What does that, what does that say about his values? And then we're going to see Mary's eventual reaction to this change in her life. And then I think we're going to, and then we're going to just talk about application. What does that mean for us? So that's kind of where we're going today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, turn to Ch Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If uh, you're not familiar with the Bible, it's about this far in. It's about two-thirds into your Bible. It's in the New Testament. There's the, the Bible split up in two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's kind of like pre-Jesus and during and after Jesus is kind of how it's split up. And uh, Luke is one of the Gospels. It's one of the stories of Jesus' life. So Luke chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 26. We're going to go through the story together, and we're just going to 
kind of retell it. I'm going to retell it for you guys as well. So let's get into it. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Let's stop there. We got to get into the setting. So the setting is Nazareth, right? This some we find out from kind of other places in the uh, in the Bible that Nazareth was kind of this podunk little town, like right? we can just call it Yuma or something like that. All right, and so whatever, it just came off the top of my head. And so this town of Yuma, Nazareth, is here. This is the saying, just some podunk little town in the middle of nowhere type of a thing. Okay. Then we got our characters. We have an angel. Okay, this is setting up to be a pretty epic story. There's an angel named Gabriel, right? There's only two or three angels really named in the Bible. One of them's Gabriel. So angel, this angel named Gabriel is here, okay? Seems like the story is going to do something really cool with this angel. And then we see there's this guy named Joseph, and you see that at Mark's it says that he is of the house of David. Now, anyone reading this back then, especially if they were familiar with the, the Jewish faith at that time, they would say, oh, this guy... This is where the story is going to go. This is where the direction of the story is going to go. With this guy of the house of David, because David was this great king. And he was this king that brought in this golden age for Israel. And he was this king that loved God and, and won battles and did all these good things for Israel. And even in the Jewish scripture, there was these prophecies about Vince. Cool it. Uh, I'm going to tell you guys what just happened. Vince is leaning against a light switch. That's what's happening. It's not like, hey, there's technical difficulties. No, Vince is turning it off <laughs> accidentally. Anyways, so we got this guy, Joseph. And <laughs> Dude, we're going to vote you out, Randy. Um, so we got this guy, Joseph, who it seems like the story might go this direction with this character because he's in this line of David who the Old Testament says is going to, from that line, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to be this guy that brings justice to Israel one day. But we see that God's actually really different with, in, in how he does things. We have this other character in the story. And besides Jesus, she's the star of the story. And her name's Mary. And she's just this young woman who's betrothed to be married. And back then, betrothed was a legal term. She's pledged legally to be married to Joseph. And she, most theologians think, you know, that she was probably around 15 years old. 15 years old. Somebody, that's something that freaks you out as the story goes. But listen, they didn't have Snapchat back then, so they were a lot more mature. And so, so we have this teenage girl, Mary, who's betrothed to be married to Joseph, and she's sitting there, and we're going to find that this person in the story with our characters, the, the person of the lowest social standing already is going to be used by God mightily. Let's keep going. Verse 28. And this is the angel. And he came to her, and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. All right, let's stop there. So the angel shows up. He says to Mary, greetings, O favored one. And Mary, I like Mary because you could see, I think you can see her personality in this, right? She's not just like, you're right, I am favored, right? She knows that if an angel shows up on your doorstep, something's going down and you might not like it, 
right? She's smart. She's a little bit skeptical of the situation. And so she, I, I th- it says, uh, but she was greatly troubled at the sh- saying and tried to discern. I bet she said, like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> like, okay, I'm a favored one and, right? Like, I, I imagine her in this moment being a little bit skeptical of this situation. So we have this teenage girl who's about to get married in a few months and this angel says something to her and she's not, she's not just jumping right into it like, yay, an angel, right? right? She's, and then she's not just totally, like I think if I saw an angel, I'd be freaked out and crying. But, and she's not that either, so she's brave. So we have Mary here and let's see what happens next. The angel responds to Mary in verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That's a lot to take in for a (laughs) 15-year-old, right? Like, listen, you're going to give birth to God. You're going to give birth to God. You're going to, he's going to be called son of the most high. He's going to make this kingdom last forever. That's a lot to take in. And if I was Mary, I mean, there's a lot of ways this, that she could respond. There's a lot of things like, okay, uh, what (laughs) is going on? And for her culture, the idea that, that God would come to earth in the form of a human was crazy. They didn't even say the name of God. Like they wouldn't even say it because of that's how far off they thought God was. And so she could have had all kinds of questions like, oh, are people going to live forever now when my baby is born? Or how, what is going on? But we see Mary's response. It's different than what my response would have been in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. I love it. She's smart. She goes, listen, angel, I don't know if you know this, but scientifically, this isn't possible. (laughs) Me and Joseph, we're not married yet. Like, how will this baby, how will this happen? And then I just imagine her sitting the angel down and being like, listen, um, when a man loves a woman. And (laughs) And then the angel just cutting her off in verse 35 and says this. And the angel answered her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary says, okay, how is this going to happen, buddy? And he goes, listen, God's just going to make it all happen in your womb. Right? He's going to form Jesus in your womb so that you can see that it is God doing this thing. And listen, you're, you know, Lizzie, your friend, your, your relative, you call him old barren womb. She's, gonna, she's six months pregnant with another guy that God is going to use. That God is going to use because God can do anything. Now listen, again, Mary's response in this moment should be a lot of things, I think. Like, what? <laughs> like, you, what? <laughs> Just over and over again, like, what is happening to me? 
I'm not ready to be pregnant. I got a wedding coming up in three months, and this is going to mess that up, buddy. And just, or, or just even like, hey, you better go tell Joseph because he's not going to believe this story. <laughs> like, come on. And instead, we see a response again. We see that Mary, I think, is smart and brave. Verse 38, and Mary said to her, or and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So again, if I'm Mary, I'm freaking out. I'm going to say, okay. You know, something I say a lot is if you say so, right? And I think that's kind of what she's saying here. She's saying, hey, I'm your servant. Let it be. If this is going to happen, let it happen. And I think Mary understands the weight of this moment. I think she understands that there's nothing she can do if God's going to do something. She, She has a fundamental understanding of who God is. But I don't think she's just right away just like this is it. This is so amazing that I get to carry God and I love it. And I think this is why. I think it's because Mary lived in the Jewish culture and the Jewish culture back then had this big, what, they, what most scholars call an honor and shame society. They were big on honor and they were big on shame. And if you didn't live, and if you lived the right way, you'd get honor. And if you lived the wrong way, you'd get shame. And so one, I, I, Mary's already in a low social standing as a woman betrothed to be married. She's not the lowest in that society, but she has a low social standing because of how that society was. But now God's going to make her pregnant before she's married. And in that honor and shame culture, they thought two things. Either you cheated on the guy you're about to get married with, or you and the guy you're about to get married to, you know, before. (laughs) Had sex before you got married. And that culture, they didn't just go, oh, she's the worst. They would completely ostracize a person like that. They would completely cast her away. They would not love her. They would not treat her right. They would not invite her into their lives. She would become a second-class citizen. It would not be well-received. Now, luckily for Mary, the angel actually did go to Joseph and and says, like, listen, no, this is from God. Please don't divorce her because Joseph was just going to divorce her quietly so that he didn't have to live under that shame. But now her and Joseph are, are gonna get married and they're always gonna be looked at funny. Like, is that really Joseph's kid? It doesn't look like him. Joseph has a huge nose, all his kids have that huge nose, but not Jesus, right? And Mary, man, Mary must've, you know, was with another guy before they got married. Poor Joseph. And then what's more is that not only that, just kind of social society shame, they would be shamed in every other way possible because as you can read even in the Gospels, the Jewish people just shamed people for the way they live. They could not handle any kind of scandal whatsoever. They were religious and legalistic. And so God is almost putting Mary in this low social status right at the start of our story. Right, she was about to get married. She had the whole world ahead of her. She was married to a guy in the line of David. But God says, I'm, I'm bringing you down to a low social, social level. And, and, and we have to say, why is that? Why is God doing that? And I think it's because for God, there is no such thing as social levels. 
I think it's because God saw that there was so much social injustice, especially in the people of Israel, and let's be honest, all around the world. There's so much social injustice happening that God said that. And Jesus, he could have come to earth and he could have just fought everybody and said, hey, that's wrong, don't do that. But instead he said, you know what, I'm going to live in the midst of this injustice. I'm going to be the son of a woman who people will think cheated on her husband before they got married. I'm going to be the son of a man who everybody's going to look at funny because I don't look like him maybe. He was going to be of the lowest social standing because Jesus cares about those in the lowest social sectors of our world. So Jesus became part of one of the lowest social sectors of our world. God is always doing this. He did it at the beginning of the story with Mary. He didn't pick the angel to do the epic thing. He didn't pick Joseph to do the epic thing. He picked Mary. Of of those three characters, she had the lowest social standing in people's eyes. And so Jesus, it shows God's heart that Jesus cares about those that are least, last, and lost. He cares about the social dregs of society. Jesus took on this low social standing himself. Look, uh, a theologian we know says, God, when Jesus came to earth, God moved into the neighborhood. God moved into the neighborhood. I want to take it a step further. Maybe uh, I shouldn't, but I think it's true. God, God didn't just move into the neighborhood. Jesus moved into the bad neighborhood. He moved in the bad. I mean, he was born in a barn. That's, that's, that's what happens to people in bad neighborhoods. They don't get all the treatment and medical things that they need at times. Jesus moved into the bad neighborhood because he wants to redeem the social sector. Instead of do it without, he did it from within. Jesus cares about this area of life. He wants to bring justice to the social injustice he sees in the world. And that's why we're, this series is the justice of Christmas. We're going to look at how Jesus, how God comes in and fix, fixes all these injustices in our world. Now, so Mary, again, so I think Mary kind of left the angel feeling skeptical. You know, obviously, I think her and Joseph probably got in a fight because she's pregnant now. And, you know, until the angel talked to Joseph. And so she's just going through a lot. So she goes over to her cousin Elizabeth's house, who the angel mentioned, and she just says, hello. And Elizabeth says, girl, you got the Lord in your belly. I felt the Holy Spirit make the baby in my belly jump, right? And I can just imagine just them freaking out and be like, we're pregnant together, right? This is what pregnant ladies do. Like, you're like, that's weird, Anthony. You know, like pregnant ladies, are like they rub their pregnant bellies on each other. I'm just kidding. But they freak out and they're like, yes, we're pregnant together. But what's more is for Mary, she was so skeptical into this moment. But then the Holy Spirit moved in a way to cause Elizabeth's womb to leap with John the Baptist in it, of all people. And Elizabeth knew. And she said, Mary, you got Jesus in your belly. And Mary said, that, that was the moment. That's what it took for Mary to realize, like, hey, this is actually amazing. Hey, this is awesome. This, this idea, this idea of justice, this idea of a Messiah that we've talked about and preached about and read about in our Old Testament, in our Bible, they just call it the Bible, um, that Messiah is going to come and I'm carrying him. And she begins to burst out in praise. And let's just 
Go through it together. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Do you notice that? She notices the humble estate she's in. This idea of the social injustice, I think, is even in her song. That she is someone of humble estate. She is someone of low social standing, yet God is using her. God is flipping that on its head because God doesn't live in our social standing. And she says this, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She realizes that ultimately at the end of this, God is raising her social standing. God is the only one that can redeem this and fix this. Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Again, you can't get away from this. God's social ordering is different than ours. God scatters the proud. He brings down the mighty from their thrones, and he lifts those of humble estate. 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. And so Mary, she is getting a glimpse into the heart of God through carrying Jesus. And for her experience, it was that she was this unwed teenage pregnant girl, which even in today we can admit, that's not a good place in society. But it was even worse for her back then. And she's sitting there, and she has this experience with God, and she realizes that God flips the social standings on its head. That it does not matter how we as broken humans order this world, but it matters how God wants to order this world, and God is in the business of redeeming that. Her song is just littered with praises about flipping this social standing. Right? When we got into this series, I was a little bit skeptical, and I was kind of like, man, this is a reach. But then as I looked at this song of Mary's, I can't help but think that there are social implications to her song of praise to God. Because almost every line has it. And I think we need to think deeply about what this means for us. We need to realize that Jesus in the incarnation... And if you don't know that, that's a big word that just means God in the flesh. That God chose to come in the flesh through the Son of God, Jesus. And so Jesus, in the incarnation, teaches us things about his heart, things about his values. I mean, I think he shows us the gospel itself. Right? By, by redeeming, by bringing justice, by making as it should be, by making right this social order, I think he shows us the gospel. Right? Because if we're looking at the social order of the world, really the only social order there should be is God and man. Right? God and man. And yet God says, you know what, even though that should be the social order, I'm not going to live by that either. 
And even though you, humankind, have brought sin into this world, you broke this world, you broke yourselves, I'm going to actually come into this world, I'm going to fix it for you. I'm going to reverse the social standings that you guys have created because they don't exist. They're not real. They're, they're machinations of your sinfulness. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to be of low social standing myself. I'm going to be a rabbi that never went to rabbinical school. I'm going to be someone that lives perfectly so you don't have to. Right? Social standing says, hey, do this and this and this and then you'll be accepted. Right? That's like the whole Seinfeld series. Every episode is like this person is socially weird because they high five too much or whatever it is. Right? Oh, that's a little dated, I guess, reference. But... And I think we as a society say, hey, you have to do this and this and this to be good or right or true. And God says, listen, you guys don't even do that right. You guys don't even think through that right. But I'm going to come and I'm going to show you what it really means to live correctly. And I'm not going to make you guys re do A, B, and C to be saved. I'm going to save you. I'm going to do all you need to be saved. I'm going to die the death on the cross for your sins even though it should be you guys on the cross. And then he raises from life to share in resurrected life with us. We all deserve death because of our sin, but Jesus says, no, you don't. Or, yeah, you do, but I'm going to give you life if you trust in me. The gospel itself flips the social order on its head. God comes down, and he puts himself in humble estate, as Mary says. And we need to sit in that. We need to realize that we have a God of the universe that does not work the way we work. He does not do things the way you and I do things. And I think, unfortunately, I think I see sometimes in our own church, the way that the world does things seeps into the church. The way that world social orders are set up seeps into the church. We start to say you have to dress a certain way or you can't have a big hairy beard on stage or things like that. And we start to say the, all these kinds of things and we create these social orders. And I, I want to, if you guys will give me some grace, I want to press into some things that I think we could get better at as a church. Some things where we alongside with Jesus could flip the social order on its head. And maybe some of these aren't totally correct. And honestly, a lot of you are killing it. A lot of you don't see class, you don't see weirdness, you don't see that. Anyone could be in your living room, and I want to just say thank you for that. But first, I, I do think there are some ways we can grow as a body, as, and I think when we do this, we'll reflect Christ more. So there's two complaints that I get as the pastor of Redemption Communities. That's, we call them RCs. That's kind of like our version of small groups if you're newer. And there's two complaints from people I get about why they're not in an RC or why they left a particular RC. And I think they show how we are living in this social order that the world has created. And the first is, hey, there's no one around my age in this group. There's no one around my age in this group. I've heard people leave churches. Hey, there's no one around my age in this church. And first, let me just say this. Whatever church or group you're a part of, you should just pray and say, God, do you want me part of this church? Is this the body of believers you want me to part of? And if he says yes or if he leads you to that, then be a part of that body of believers. And then I don't think you can easily say, hey, there's no one around my age. 
Because God put you in that body of believers. He put you in this weird social dynamic. Right? And we, we live in a time where the world is, the, the young are villainizing the old, and the old are villainizing the young, calling them all millennials, making videos about how they're just a bunch of bums, and all these things. Right? And the young are villainizing the old, saying they're just a bunch of old hermits and they don't get anything. And in the church, that should not be. And the church, that should not be happening. Because we have the redemptive power of the gospel in our life. One of the relationships I'm most blessed by are Randy and Kelly. And they, Kelly hates when I mention them. But Randy and Kelly, because they've been here since the start of our church and we're mostly young people. And they convince other older people to stick around. Because they get the gospel. They get that, that age is not something, not a, a social order of gods. And so, hey, if that's you, millennials, stop calling old people crazy. Old people, stop calling millennials bums. All right? Like, seriously. Start just with a fresh start. Start calling them son or daughter of, Christ, of God. Start there. Brother or sister. And young people, be respectful to our older people. We like a lot of crazy stuff. <laughs> we like stuff that maybe we shouldn't sometimes. And they sometimes have an easier eye to see that. All right, so let's not live in this social order of age group. Next, uh, the next complaint I get is, hey, I'm single and everybody in this group is married. I can't handle this emotionally, right? And listen, I can relate to this, not that I'm single, but I can relate to it because every time I hang out with married people, it seems like we spend a solid hour on baby names. <laughs> like, I'm just like, what is going on right now? I hate this. And so, listen, single people, you're going to have to get over that. <laughs> single people, God wants you in relationship with married people. God's social order isn't, hey, all the married people hang out, all the single people hang out. God's social order is we are a diverse body that all ages and all walks of life need to walk together to reflect my image. And so single people, when they start doing the baby naming thing or making out in front of you or whatever, one, say, that's gross. And then two, just start making up crazy names too. Just be like, Rock, what about that name? I don't know, Brick? I thought it Brick, that'd be cool. Like something like that. And then the game will stop. <laughs> okay old people or not old people sorry married people that's old in our church married people stop talking about baby names uh, married people look for ways to invite single people into your family look for ways to make them feel loved and that they don't just need some marriage relationship in order to be happy right they need Christ in order to be happy yes having a spouse is a good thing but I think sometimes we as married couples, we make it an ultimate thing instead of just a good thing. So married people, there's some ways we can love them better. And single people, there's ways we can love them better. But either way, I think God wants you in relationship. I would be heartbroken if some of my single friends didn't want to be in relationship with me because how I acted as a married person. That would break my heart. Because they bring so much life to me. They show me things that I can't see sometimes inside of marriage. They convict me of my sin. We need each other. We need to flip the social standing on its head just like Jesus did. 
Now, I think there's just some other random things. These aren't complaints I get. These are just some things as I was thinking about this idea of flipping the social order on its head and reflecting Christ through that. Uh, these are some things I thought we could press into as a people. I think there's, there's people in this room that what I love about our church is people can come in here and they could sit down and they could be dressed really nice or they could dress, be dressed really bad. That's usually me. Or other people could have crazy hair or, you know, dyed hair or whatever, piercings, tattoos, all that. And in the 90s, growing up in church, that wasn't the case. And so I love that about our church, that you could come in and sit down. But, I, but what, what worries me is, okay, this is a place welcome for all, but sometimes I don't know if people are always crossing those social divides and actually inviting people that look very different than them into their life. Like, well, I'm a family. I can't invite this person into my life. It's, it's too difficult. When, again, the body of Christ is supposed to be diverse. We're supposed to flip the social order on its head. And so if someone in here trusts in the name of Christ to save them, they're your brother or your sister. They are welcome in your living room. They are welcome in your house. And we should make them welcome. We should build those relationships. Okay, so anyone in here that looks differently than you, I don't want to get too specific because I don't want people to feel weird. I, another thing I've noticed when I'm out at a restaurant or something is there will be a worker sometimes with special needs. Special needs, disabilities of some sort, different than your and my disabilities. And I, just the way I watch our society treat people with special needs is sad. And, then, and what's sad is I'm watching myself. Right, there's a guy, I won't say where, but there's a guy in town at a restaurant I frequent, and he, has, he clearly has special needs, and it's awkward, and he is just saying weird things, and I, I'm so bad sometimes at pressing into that relationship with him. I just kind of be like, please, just don't talk to me. Leave me alone. Like, I don't say that, but I think that, at least somewhere deep down. But Jesus never does things like that. Jesus came in the flesh, and so I think... When we see people with special needs, they should be brothers and sisters. We should love them. We should flip the social order on their head, on, on the world's head, by, by treating that person just like we would treat someone that we loved deeply and thought was the coolest person ever. Amen? Let's, let's begin to press into that. Another area I think we in the church can do is to love those in the LBGTQIA community, those that consider themselves part of that community. Now listen, I can't get away from it. The Bible does say the practice of homosexuality is a sin. That's true. The Bible says that. But this group of people have felt, notorious, have felt persecution by the church. They don't feel welcome in the church. And sometimes that's true and sometimes that's not true. I, I remember in high school I had a friend who, who identified as gay and he saw a bracelet on me one time that showed I was a Christian. And he said, hey, you're a Christian? I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And he goes, well, that's crazy, man. You're so nice. You're so nice. I didn't think you'd be a Christian. And that just broke my heart because we have this segment of our society that the church should love and the church should reach out to and the church should proclaim the gospel to and yet... Instead, I think we're just finger-pointing sometimes. I think we're just feeling yucky around them sometimes. 
So we need to press into loving that community. When someone that identifies as in that community comes through our doors, they should feel welcome. They should feel welcome. And build that relationship so that one day that you can speak the gospel to them in love and that one day that hopefully they can meet Jesus. So we're, those are just some of the, and then, you know what, and just anybody else that's weird. I also hear in RCs all the time, like, hey, that RC is really weird, or that, it's usually my RC, or, or this group is weird, or that group is weird, and I can't handle this person. That is so anti to the gospel. Do you think that, like, Jesus, if anybody could walk around and be like, man, these people are annoying, right? It could have been Jesus. Maybe, maybe he kind of did in some ways, but he loved and he liked people, I think, genuinely. That's why so many people from broken social orders were drawn to him. So we were, we're going to press into this this Christmas, and this is how we're going to do it. Is we have this hashtag on Instagram called the justice of Christmas. And what we're going to do is every week we're going to kind of look at one of these sectors and we're going to post pictures as a church. So any of you can use this hashtag, hashtag justice of Christmas. And I want you this week to tell me using Instagram, tell me using a picture or a video or whatever, where do you see Jesus in the low social areas of our society? Where do you see Jesus in that? Or better yet, tell me the story of someone that socially you, you shouldn't be in a relationship with, and don't say that in Instagram, but because of the gospel you are. Because of what Jesus has done in your life, you are. And so we're going to begin to use this justice of Christmas hashtag every week. And that's a, a way to apply. So be thinking now even, how can I use this platform to proclaim Christ and what he's doing in this city? So every Advent, we, we celebrate the incarnation. God with us, God in the flesh. And so through it, we get to see who Jesus is, we get to see his values, we get to see his heart for the world, we get to see how he has incarnated, we get to see God with us, Emmanuel. He does this in the social order, he flips it on his head, he lives amongst the broken parts of the social order because he wants to make it right, he wants to bring justice to it, and he's not a God that lives far off, he is God that lives in the midst of our messiness, yet does not let it affect him. So if Jesus didn't live in this under the social order, neither should we. Amen, church? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you flipped the social order on its head. You do it so many times in the Bible, God, not just with Mary, but throughout the Bible, with Gideon, with David, with others. You don't do always what we expect. And it's because, God, there in your eyes, and humankind shouldn't have a social order of some sort. God, we shouldn't look at unwed pregnant mothers and not love them. God, we shouldn't look at people we consider outcasts and not love them and not have them be part of our lives. So, God, help us. Help us, Holy Spirit, to see those in our, in our, in our, or convict our hearts, Holy Spirit, to see where we are seeing people differently than we should. It's terrible that our hearts are that way, God. We're broken. We need your redemption. We need you to fix us. 
God, thank you for coming to this earth to make that right, to even make our hearts right. God, thank you for being here on earth in the flesh and then raised into heaven one day so that we could live with you one day as well. Amen.